1: This is Day 41, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 21 and 22, Leviticus 15, and Psalm 76. Exodus 21. These are the laws you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free, without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone, but if he has a wife, when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master, and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an owl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as a male servant does. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has not—he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must go grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money." Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. If people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or with their fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held liable if the other can get up and walk around outside with a staff. However, the guilty party may pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two, since the slave is their property. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender be must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. An owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. If a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death, and its meat must not be eaten, but the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned, but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death. However, if a payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave and the bull is to be stoned to death. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opens the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head or cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution, but if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, and the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If anyone gives a neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges and they must determine whether the owner of the house has laid hands on the other person's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their case before the judges. The one whom the judge declares guilty must pay back double to the other. If anyone gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal their neighbor for safekeeping and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, restitution must be made to the owner, If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the neighbor shall bring in the remains as evidence and shall not be required to pay for the torn animal. If anyone borrows an animal from their neighbor and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins." Do not allow a sorceress to live, anyone who has sexual relations with an animal is to be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Do not blaspheme God or curse the rules of your people. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. You are to be my holy people. So do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. Leviticus 15. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has an unusual bodily discharge, such as discharge is unclean, Whether it continues flowing from his body or is blocked, it will make him unclean. This is how his discharge will bring uncleanness. Any bed the man with a discharge lies on will be unclean, and anything he sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches his bed must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Whoever sits on anything that the man with a discharge sat on must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening." Whoever touches the man who has discharge must wash their clothing and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. If the man with discharge spits on anyone who is clean, they must wash their clothing and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Everything the man sits on when riding will be unclean, and whoever touches any of the things that were under him will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up those things must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening.' Anyone the man with a discharge touches without rinsing his hands with water must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. A clay pot that the man touches must be broken, and any wooden article is to be rinsed with water. When a man is cleansed from his discharge, he is to count off seven days for his ceremonial cleansing. He must wash his clothes and bathe himself with fresh water, and he will be clean. On the eighth day, he must take two doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance to the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest is to sacrifice them, the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement before the Lord for the man because of his discharge. When a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his whole body with water and he will be unclean till evening. Any clothing or leather that has semen on it must be washed with water and it will be unclean till evening. When a man has sexual relations with a woman and there is an emission of semen, both of them must bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean, They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening." Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean. They must wash their clothing and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, they must be unclean till evening. If a man has sexual relations with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will be unclean. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. These are the regulations for a man with a discharge, for anyone made unclean by an emission of semen, for a woman in her monthly period, for a man or a woman with a discharge, and for a man who has sexual relations with a woman who is ceremonially unclean. Psalm 76 God is renowned in Judah. In Israel, his name is great. His tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shields and the swords, the weapons of war. You are radiant with light, more majestic than mountains, rich with game. The valiant lie plundered. They sleep their last sleep. Not one of the warriors can lift his hands. At your rebuke, God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. It is you alone who are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? From heaven you pronounce judgment, and the land feared and was quiet. When you, God, rose up to judge, to save all the afflicted of the land, surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise, and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all the neighboring lands bring gifts to the one to be feared. He breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. And we're getting deeper. We're getting deeper and deeper into the laws, into the culture of the time, and into the understanding of what it means to have God dwell in the same place that you are, right? And this dramatic contrast between him whose immortality, purity, cleanliness, life itself, and how humans are not that, the opposite of that in many ways, but yet we're made in his image. He's given us a portion of power and authority, and he is wanting to restore and redeem us into this special place, special relationship. So, something we're going to see thematically is that God is not condoning or condemning what we're seeing happen in culture or people, but he's incarnating in laws towards restoration, what has to take place for full redemption. And we won't see it come to absolute fruition, right, until Revelations. Um, So what we're going to be teasing out is, is just this deeper, clearer understanding of who God is, what the law is for, and what's going on. So I understand it from Dr. Tim and John Collins, the word Torah, which is the Hebrew term representing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. So that's Torah, first five books of the Bible, we know, and it was translated in the Septuagint as more of the word law but it is actually derived from a word in Hebrew that is more closely associated with the verb related to teaching or guiding principles. And the law is not really introduced in the scripture until about here in Exodus. So we will be talking about law and specific types, purposes, and applications of law quite a bit in the upcoming days. Dr. Tim Mackey counts about 613 laws in the Torah. And about 80% of them are related to bringing more justice to the marginalized. So we'll see it as orphans, widows, slaves, and women. Remember, God is interacting with people that have established a culture that Yahweh is not universally condoning as everything about it is good or condemning as in everything about it is bad. But God is revealing his character. And justice through these laws in that cultural context. He's beginning the work of renewal towards restoration of the way in which our relationship and practices are dislocated and alienated from what he intended. We knew this was going to happen because we read Genesis 3, and we knew Genesis 3 was in stark contrast to what he created and ordered in Genesis 1 and 2, where he could dwell with us in that special place in Genesis 2. On one hand, 613 laws may seem like a lot, but there are, for example, only two laws about divorce. And many people, you know, go Google shopping in the laws for instruction, but they cannot find the things they're looking for. So on the other hand, some might argue there aren't enough laws, but it kind of depends on what you're trying to do with the law. So this also might be a hint or indication, a revelation, that the fact that God was not trying to prescribe every idiosyncratic behavior, like, you know, in our world, we're like, if you follow these three steps or these five principles, you will be perfect or successful. um, That's not what's happening. Right? So there's this heart and immutable character of God being revealed in these laws, which uh, we will zoom into more and we'll see some patterns in the coming days. What are these patterns and characteristics we can derive and how they are important? It's important to qualify that God is not taking a portion of our power and authority he gave humans as his image and name bearers to rule and subdue. No, there is certainly some inbound, inboard, he's created us for creativity and innovation still there, and it's coming out in our individual and collective selves in community. And collectively, we often refer to this creativity and innovation as culture. Note, when Abraham took the slaves given to him by the Egyptian pharaoh and perhaps acquired others along the way in his nomadic journey, he abused at least one of them named Hagar by making her a handmaiden to bear his first son, which he then exiled to appease his his wife, Sarah. God did commission in Abraham, and Abraham was also the first God called into circumcision after the recorded act of taking a slave woman that was not his first wife to have his child. Some biblical scholars suggest the circumcision was a way of reminding Abraham that his faithfulness and progeny belonged to God along with everything else, and that this is not the way God ordered as described in Genesis 2 for a man and a wife having children. God never asked Abraham to take a wife or a handmaiden like this, and he never asked Abraham to exile Hagar and their son. And even though this was outside of what God ordered, in fact, God provided for them when Abraham decided to exile them, he still allowed Abraham to make this decision. And I say all this to remember, to remind us that God gave us choice, and he's not condoning or condemning all of it, but he is trying to bring justice and mercy and bring us back to the way he wants us to do it and do it well to represent him. So even if we act in disorder or live in a not yet God-ordered way, he's calling his people into order hovering near them, giving them incremental instructions towards more of him, more justice, more mercy, and less power grabbing and vengefulness, taking blessing where and how we can, instead of being a blessing to those around us. So one of the points of reflection for me anyway, is that God gives grace even as he's giving this law. These people came out of slavery. And where in history we may have known institutions um, or rampant homelessness in the ancient world, slavery in part may in part be like our understanding of human trafficking. But it was also a way for someone to indenture themselves to another when they had nothing. And In exchange, they were given home and provision and protection in exchange for service. So it's kind of like our concepts of, you know, mental health and homelessness. It's really quite complicated, and it's not just all packaged neatly under horrific human trafficking. I am sure that also took place, though. And God is again, he's not condoning like slavery is a good idea or polygamy is a great idea. Clearly it's not in the Genesis 1 and 2 order. And he's calling for justice in the practice of such things. Yet I can resonate with the initial frustration at what seems like you know, his lack of universal and total condemnation of it. But we know from both Genesis and the New Testament that it is not what he ordered for human relationships in marriage or community. And we trust in God and his wisdom, his timing, and perhaps, I cannot say for sure, but perhaps God knew a total prohibition or untangling of something that was already present would not have allowed a way forward for these people because they were living with polygamy and slavery. Remember, if someone already has slaves and already has polygamy, like multiple wives and children, to untangle that in that time is incredibly challenging economically and relationally. It's even, it would be challenging today to unravel what that would look like. But what is perhaps most pressing for God and a first step was to speak to the justice and boundaries to these unordered practices. We all can at least agree that economics, relationships, and culture are very complicated and deeply in great aspects of our lives where God comes to meet people right where they are. And we can clearly see God is seeking to reduce human exploitation and regulate less than ideal situations. God is seeking to protect the more vulnerable and limit the oppressive application of power in the cultural practices of the people at the time. And I think this story both highlights how adrift people then and now are and how we treat one another. And it also highlights who God is in his attempt not to take the portion of power and authority totally away from us. He gave this to us, but to direct and redirect and guide the how, right? Towards just and fair practices. For me, it's something akin to how I feel when I'm midway through a hard project. I can't believe where I was when I started then where I am now, but I also can't believe how much further i have to go living and serving god is a redemptive transformational process he offers us through a relationship out of his abundance grace it's not again it's not like a transaction or do these three things and all is well forever just like in the new testament when the pharisees tried to trap jesus into the old testament law jesus would point to the genesis 1 and 2 order But also propose things like may the first person without sin, who basically had not violated any laws, cast the first stone and he would act in grace, eating with, in quotes, sinners and offering healing and mercy to lawbreakers. For me, the larger pattern of action God is revealing is the movement from coming. Or taking the people just as they are, and moving them towards renewal and restoration, towards transformation, and a way to improve human flourishing, and their presentation of Him. But this is not complete, and we know this from the story until Jesus returns. God so far has been revealing Himself less as a transaction: do this, and all of this is perfect. And more and more, I can't say this enough. Drawing us into a relationship where we trust and rely on His wisdom, even when it doesn't all make sense to us, and guidance for provision, progeny, and the way in which to rule in justice and fairness, and where and how to subdue the things that lead to spiritual death, God is helping us understand the how of Genesis 1 and 2, which we drift from and did drift from so quickly in Genesis 3. And the parts in Leviticus that are hard to understand are punctuating the difference, again, between God and us. But if it's connected to the entire story of the Bible, it's like there's this tethered connection between these stories of, you know, uncleanliness and exactly how God touched, you know, a woman that was bleeding for 12 days. Uh, She touched him. She, again, he called her daughter. He is the answer to the gap, between our ability to dwell with Him. He's the answer. And hes I feel like Leviticus just is punctuating, punctuating so graphically that He's perfect and we want to dwell with Him and that we will need to have a Messiah in order to make that happen. Pray for me,
0: I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians five twenty two through 24. See you tomorrow.